Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. We are coming to you in the first days of the Leicester Premier League Championship era. Still weird to say, Grant. I love saying it, though. Leicester City Premier League champions has a nice ring to it. It's it's pretty wild. Um Brian, on on the topic of uh, of Leicester and everything else that's that's going on in the world of soccer right now, I want to start uh, with both of you guys actually, and, and play a little word association. There's so much between the Champions League. Got our down to our two finalists. It's a it's an All Madrid final again. Uh, got a lot coming up on the horizon this summer with the Euros, Copa America. So let's let's just hit on on a bunch of topics, word association style. And Brian, I want to start with you, and and let's start with Leicester. The first thing that comes to your mind when I say Leicester City inspiring i know it's cheesy but it's inspiring i mean i i i was riveted by this run um trying to get up early and watch every game um it's certainly gonna make uh clubs around the world uh who, who play in leagues uh that don't have the sort of enforced parity mechanisms that we're used to in this country start to believe that they're capable of things that they never imagined before and that's awesome um Perhaps the only downside is, I mean, I'm already reading that, you know, Riyad Mahrez's agent is saying, oh, it's 50-50. I mean, the only the only shame is, is, is that, you know, teams like this often can't keep the squad together uh, to see if they can sort of, uh, you know, make a sustained run uh, for, for, for a number of years. But uh, it's the greatest story in sports. It's the greatest story in soccer. And, and it's inspired me and a lot of other people. A lot of goosebumps when Eden Hazard scored that goal. Uh, and then you saw the, the Christian Fuchs video that made its way around the world. That was just phenomenal. The the real true Vardy party. Uh, Grant, let's let's go to the Champions League. Uh, Diego Simeone. Cojones. That would be my word for Diego Cholo Simeone. Uh, a guy who actually, if you look back, has several photographs over the years of himself grabbing his crotch, Michael Jackson style, uh, Clinton Dempsey 2009 Confederations Cup style, uh, <laughs> after a big win. He didn't do it this week, but it was a big win for him. And to take out Bayern Munich uh, right after you've taken out Barcelona in the Champions League over four legs is just a remarkable accomplishment when you look, let's be honest, at the talent differential. And he's got some great players on that team. Don't get me wrong. Antoine Griezmann's fantastic. Uh, Saul had an amazing goal that ended up being uh, the difference against Bayern Munich. Uh, Even Fernando Torres is somehow relevant again uh, under Cholo. And I mean, this guy is, I've talked about him in the past on this podcast, just a tremendous coach. I think he would be a wonderful coach to have for the U.S. national team and fit the identity of uh, the U.S. player and and get even more out of the U.S. player. And that's the other word I think of with Cholo is identity. I don't think there's a team in the world that has more, a clearer identity than Atletico Madrid. And it's his identity. Um, and it may not always be the most spectacular thing to watch from an attacking perspective, though it can be on occasion. Uh, but it's uh, it's just tremendous defense from every single player on the field. Well, you look at, at Atletico Madrid and, and the Champions League final, Leicester winning the Premier League. Those are two teams who are just lethal on the counter. Yeah. Right? And, and you saw what Atletico did with, with Griezmann scoring the, the decisive goal. Uh, just just so clinical, so so perfect. Um, and and. Like you said, playing true to their identity. Let's go to the other side of of the sideline in the Champions League final. And Grant, we'll stick with you for this one. Zidane. Promising as a coach 
And not a lot of people thought that he would be when he was hired. If you go back to midseason when they canned Rafa Benitez uh, at Real Madrid, you thought that, boy, you know, Zidane's walking into a terrible situation, a toxic club environment. Um, this won't go well. And here is Real Madrid in the Champions League final, favored to win the Champions League in his first season, his first half season as a coach. They are in the race for La Liga. They're only one point back with two games to go. They've got a chance to really do something here in the last month of the season. And so I think Zidane deserves a ton of credit for coming into a toxic situation and making things better. Uh, does it mean he's going to be a legendary coach like he was as a player? Well, you aren't sure yet, but this is promising. It's amazing how things just turn on a dime, especially at these at these big clubs where decisions are made, you know, knee-jerk reactions. If they lost the Classico, he'd be on the hot seat and, and probably looking for a job this summer. Uh, but here they are, again, in the Champions League final looking for their 11th uh, European Cup. Maybe if they win it, they'll buy him a decent pair of pants. <laughs> I was going to say that like his pants have ripped twice now, and I noticed yesterday not wearing a belt. You know, I, maybe that's a Euro thing, but... He's got some work to do on the pants front. Interesting. Interesting. Well, room for improvement. You always you always want to see the the best get better. Uh Brian, sticking sticking with the the managers and and the best managers in the world, Pep Guardiola, Bayern Munich, asked it again in the semifinals. What do you think when I say Pep Guardiola? I think Cauldron, uh because that's what he's about to enter. Um Pep Guardiola is is a visionary, he's charismatic. Um his teams have played some beautiful soccer, but but let's be honest. I mean, he's he's coached very, very talented teams in very top-heavy leagues. And he's about to go into a league that now more than ever, top to bottom, is competitive, is difficult, is taxing, and literally anyone can beat you on any day. That We've seen that with Leicester, and we've seen that with, with what happened with Chelsea this year. Uh, the Premier League chewed up and spit out Jose Mourinho, uh, the best coach of his era, in only half a season. Um, and so Guardiola is going to have to come into a team that, let's be honest, just looked awful yesterday uh, in the Champions League semifinal. And he's going to really have a different kind of challenge than he's ever had before as a coach, uh, where all the teams in the league have money. All the teams in the league believe they can win. Um, and, and you know, yeah, Man City's rich, but, you know, with everyone else is going to be too. Um, and uh, he's got a lot to prove still. Again, I, I don't think his time with Byron was a failure. Um, you know, still all the respect in the world for what he's accomplished, but this is going to be a challenge unlike he's ever faced. I'd agree with that. And look at, at Bayern, you can argue one way or the other. Uh, the fact that they won the champions league and everything the, as he came in, kind of put him in, in a almost impossible situation where, where the expectation bar was just raised so high. Um, and, and the failure debate is, is one for another day. Um, I personally would not call it a complete failure, but I would say that his time there went a little unfulfilled considering oh, the yeah. expectations um, that were that were on him. Uh, Grant, let's let's change gears now. Brazil's Copa America roster. We're taping this on Thursday. Their 23 is out. Premature is my my word. I mean, like, why are they releasing it now? They don't have to do it until May 20th. It's May 5th. This makes absolutely <laughs> no sense to me. But you know, like, this is also a country where the coach comes out like three days before a big game and, and you know, states is starting 11. It's like they don't care. So at least we now know who Brazil's 23 is, unless someone gets injured. Uh, to me, very surprising that Kaká is not on the 23. And that comes from not so much on the field, though I think he could be helpful to them on the field. 
there is an element of marketing to this tournament. Some people think it's more than others. Some people are calling it a total money grab marketing tournament. Uh, I think it's a little, like Avi, as he points to himself, uh, I think it's a little more nuanced than that. But I do think marketing is involved here. And for a Brazil team that is playing in Orlando and for a coach, Dunga, who is very close to Kaká, I'm stunned that he's not on the roster. I know Kaká has not uh, been healthy this entire year, but I think there's plenty of time for him to be perfectly healthy for June. And so this does surprise me. You look at their the Brazil Olympic roster and Neymar's going to be on that. And then you look also not going to Copa America or Marcelo, Thiago Silva, David Luiz. Um, clearly they're prioritizing the Olympics, which they have never won before and they have on home soil. Uh, and yet this is also the deepest country in the world in terms of talent in many ways, not every way though. I mean, they couldn't find a decent striker for the last world cup in 2014. Uh, they're going to have a good team at the Copa America when you look at this roster with uh, you know, guys like Danny Alves, uh, Willian, who's very good at Chelsea this year, Douglas Costa from, uh, from Bayern Munich. Uh, so you know, they're going to do just fine, I would think. But uh, clearly, the Copa America is not at the top of their priority list. No, and I don't think this is an entire money grab, but I do see that Brazil has, every time they've used the Brazil player, on a piece of promotional marketing, they've just whiffed. It's been Neymar, it's been David <laughs> Luiz, it's been Kaká. How many people in Orlando were going to see the Brazil-Haiti game and pay good money? These tickets are, are not cheap, you know, in part because they wanted to see their captain, their player on the field in, in this tournament, and now that's not happening. And and look, it's not all about that. If Dunga thinks he's not one of the best 23 or, or one of the guys that can help them win this tournament, then so be it. I don't begrudge him for that. That's fine. But my God, every single time there's been a Brazil player, just put the crest. No more players. Very Spinal Tap drummer-ish situation here with players Brazil you know, has been marketing for this it's, tournament. It's just uh, enough. Uh, Brian, we're going to come back to Copa in a little bit. But Brian, uh, MLS referees, what, what do you think when I say that? Kitty. <laughs> I just feel bad. I just feel bad for these guys. They just get <laughs> crushed. And, and, you know, their level of confidence is is not their fault necessarily it is it is a it is a symptom of where we are in soccer as a country we're we're you know new to this in a lot of ways and getting better over the past 20 25 years and that that affects lead, players and coaches and administrators and journalists and referees and 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 they're hardly the only ones who botch stuff i mean in every league and every competition around the world Refereeing decisions are controversial. Uh, they're talking points. I, I don't think they they are, you know, uh, I don't know if they're labeled with, with as broad a brush as the referees are here, but the, these guys are just, you know, they're put under so much pressure. You, you got, you know, Peter Vermes and Ben Olsen and, you know, guys like that just screaming at you constantly. Um, and it's worth noting again, I mean, this is not new information, but it's still amazing to me that, you know, U.S., uh, that MLS and U.S. soccer in an effort to keep ex-players uh, involved in the sport um, ha had agreed to fast track ex-MLS players through the refereeing process uh, in order to get them their badges quicker and, and get them on a field and making money and perhaps turning them into pro referees. And last time I checked, uh, and it's been, it's been a year or so, but not a single player has done that. Not one. Not one guy has said, yeah, I want to step into that and just get crushed. Uh, and so I pity these guys. Hopefully it gets better. 
but it, it's got to be a rough one. This seems like a quixotic quest to try and get ex-players to become referees to me. First off, as Brian says, it never, ever happens. <laughs> players hate referees. That's the last thing in the world. I think they would rather do just about any job in the world than being a referee. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. And Brian, to your point where you're talking about leagues all over the world, it's sports all over the world. The NBA just admitted that in the last, right. on the last five possession, like, five, like one per second, yeah. on the last possession, there were five bad calls. At least the league is, is coming out and being transparent. But at a certain point, you're just like, you know what, maybe, maybe just keep that information to yourself. Five Look, I'm, bad I'm, calls I'm on one fan. play. I'm sitting through this Penguins cap series, which has been, you know, you know, four games of headhunting and, and, and you're never, you're never going to be satisfied. It's every sport, but soccer with the speed that it's, that it's played out with the size of the field. Um, it, it's almost impossible, you know, and again, this is not new. It's almost impossible to do. And referees here, uh, they're, they're, they're trying. I don't know what else to say, but I just, I just feel sorry for these guys. They just get wrecked. <laughs> and of course there's the social media snowball avalanche and video replay whenever it does come into, into implementation will help. Um, but certainly not not easy times for MLS referees. Grant, let's let's go back to the uh, international stage. Just Copa America Centenario as a whole. Uh, I'm excited. So excited. Uh, Avi, you may think it's this horrible money grab. Stop. That is... <laughs> and you know, I, I'm excited for this tournament. Like, like my big question is. How many of the South American teams are really going to take it seriously? And I think we'll find out pretty quickly. Um, so far, it's encouraging when you see the names that have been announced. Um, you know, Neymar is the only superstar who's not going to be here. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of big stars. You're going to have Luis Suarez. You're going to have uh, Chicharito. You're going to have, uh, oh, Lionel Messi. Remember that guy? <laughs> Um, you know, and a bunch of other great Argentine players. Their 40-man roster is stacked. So, you know, and you're going to have Keeler Navas, who I think is a superstar now, or getting getting very close, and we should look at him as such. Um, but, I mean, I, I look at this tournament, um, and I think the, the recipe is there for an exciting tournament. I mean, there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on this Copa America than there were on the Copa America last year that was just South American teams. And so... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think it's going to be a, a good showcase for a talent. I think finally we have something that is akin to the Euro in this hemisphere. I would love to see this become a regular combined Copa America. Uh, and I think in a sense, that's going to be the legacy of this tournament is if it sets up the possibility for that happening. For sure. It's, it's a litmus test for that. I hope that a lot of the games in this Copa America do not turn out like the ones in last year's, which turned out to just be hack fests that were ended in penalty shootouts. Uh, I think we all want to see a little more entertainment and a little more entertaining soccer uh, as a whole. But like you said, most of the big names um, you know, are, are slated to be here. Uh, and that is definitely something to be excited about. Brian, let's wrap things up with the uh, other bookend of this summer uh, international competition, the Olympics. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of the most esoteric uh, modern pentathlon. Go, um, go I have on. no idea what that is. Uh, I know it's an Olympic event, and I think there's a horse involved, but I really don't know what it is. But, but that's what the Olympics are for. In 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 my book, the Olympics are. I I like watching the kayaking and the archery and the fencing and stuff that I've never seen before. If if 
if the Olympics isn't the pinnacle of your sport, whether it's a niche sport or something like swimming or track, if the Olympics isn't the pinnacle, then I'm not sure your sport belongs in it. And, and I'm sorry, but Olympic soccer doesn't do it for me. It never really has. It's sort of a gross anti-climax for the women. We, we just spent all last summer trying to figure out who the, the best women's national team in the world is. And for the men, it's an under-23 tournament. The, you know, the, the, the qualification uh, balance is kind of weird. Uh, you know, a lot of, lot of non-competitive teams in there. Um, you know, we don't often see a correlation between Olympic success and future success. I just don't care that much. And, uh, you know, it's not that into it. So I'll, I'll, uh, whatever Olympics I watch this summer, most of it will be, uh, will be horses. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this about the Olympics. Uh, I understand Brian's frustrations, especially with the men's side, because it is an under 23 tournament with three exceptions for overage players. Um, from a U.S. perspective, though, I'm bummed out that the U.S. didn't make the men's tournament because there has been a history of this participation by the U.S. men leading to bigger and better things for those players who were involved. I really enjoyed covering the 2000 Olympics where the U.S. men made it to the semifinals. You had uh, Landon Donovan, John O'Brien, Brad Friedel on that team, um, and several guys who ended up making a real contribution to uh, the U.S.'s good World Cup performance in 2002. Um, the 2008 team had a lot of guys that went on uh, to be part of the 2010 World Cup team and they had really good careers with the U.S. men's national team uh, at the senior level. And on the women's side, I mean, yes, it, it comes a year after um, the World Cup, but it's still a big-time tournament with all the best players, and, and women's soccer still needs that. They need people to get excited uh, for big world events and this will be a big event for NBC on television this summer because it gets really good ratings when the U.S. women play. And so I'm looking forward to covering that. I think women's soccer would be better off spending the summer after the Women's World Cup building the league, building, building the foundations of the sport, building the grassroots, building support and investment and sponsorship and interest that doesn't revolve solely around the women's national team and, and, and one tournament that happens to take place every four years. I think that would be a better use of of that capital uh, in terms of building women's soccer, and and in terms of the men, yeah, yeah, the U.S. men were in it. I would I would obviously be writing about it and would be a lot more interested, but they're not. So uh, I'm going to watch fencing. <laughs> <laughs> what is modern pentathlon anyway? Man, I mean, they don't even show that on TV. I don't know, but I think if we when we launch our fencing vertical, Brian is going to be our our, <laughs> our go to crack reporter. Uh, talking about the women's national team, uh, real quick before we move on to, to what we're going to get into next, uh, Grant, you had the opportunity to to speak with Carly Lloyd this week um, as part of our new Facebook page. So if you haven't yet, definitely take the opportunity to like that. Uh, and there will be a lot more interviews like that. Grant and I did a, a Q&A with uh, taking reader questions. Grant Carly did that as well. Um, and this summer, there's just going to be a ton of opportunities, whether it's at Copa America, whether it's about the Euros, whether it's about the Olympics, everything that's going to be going on. Uh, and, and obviously, we'll have that all on Planet Football, but definitely make sure to make our Facebook page part of your regular routine. Just search uh, Sports Illustrated Planet Football uh, on your Facebook. That'll pretty much do the trick. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to revisit our horribly wrong, for the most part, Premier League season predictions. For over 62 years and 3,166 issues, and counting, 
Sports Illustrated has built a reputation as the pinnacle of American sports writing. Now, do we deserve that distinction? Decide for yourself. Peruse any of the roughly 80,000 stories available for free in the SI Vault, which debuted last week at si.com vault. Now it's all there. Do you remember an SI story from years past that you'd like to reread? The new vault is searchable, so you'll be able to find that story. Have a vague recollection of a cover that you enjoyed? Well, every single cover is up there, too. It's all free, and it's all at si.com vault. Once again, that's si.com vault. All right, welcome back. Guys, I, I want to revisit our Premier League season predictions. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the exact reaction you should have. That wasn't word association, but that would be the, the right response. Uh, earlier, what, back in August? Doesn't seem that long ago, but it really was. Uh, we were lucky enough to have Brad Friedel on our podcast, and Grant, it was, it was you, me, Brad, and, and Ben Littleton. Um, and we all... You know, took a crack at what we thought was going to unfold in the next nine months. Obviously, all of that happened, uh, or not. Um, Leicester City, to begin with, and and look, we're going to preface this by saying nobody picked Leicester to do anything remotely close to what they did. Maybe stay up was was the, the grandest proclamation. Yeah, I and and I'm Tom Hanks's brother. <laughs> sure. Um, he's a Villa fan. What's he doing betting on Leicester? I don't think he did, actually. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, no, there's there's true. no way. I'd pick or it never happened. Uh, so anyway, I w- just want to start, and we'll play some clips back for you uh, about just how wrong we were about Leicester City. Maybe Leicester, I think West Ham might get sucked in, even though everyone is expecting a, a great success from their former player, um, Slavin Bilic, who's now in charge. I think Villa are in trouble I think that they, they start as a, as a team really looking over their shoulders. If I had to name three, I would go for Sunderland, Villa, and probably Norwich. I'll keep this one simple. Leicester, Norwich, Sunderland. Brad, Brad, do you have a, uh, a prediction of doom I, for the I bottom would, of the table? I do fear a little bit for, for Sunderland. Um, I would agree with that one. Um, as I said before, I think Villa would... Although it's a little bit of an unknown, I think they'll be uh, they'll be okay. I would agree with you again on uh, on Norwich. Uh, um, I don't like really what's going on at Leicester. They do have an experienced manager that's gone in there. Um, they just got out of jail at the at the end of last season. Can they go on a run? Will the players have the team spirit and the fight that they had under uh, under Pearson? I, I you know I would. Uh, I would doubt that highly, so I might um, put Lester in that bracket as well. All right. So as you can see, uh, not not great, not great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but hey, it only set the stage for the greatest story of our lifetimes. So we uh, we're thankful for that, and uh, and definitely got some some good good visuals and, and good memories to take away from that. Uh, now Tottenham was is the team that's pushing Lester, had been pushing Lester up until this past week. Um, and Brad wasn't so far off uh, with uh, with how he thought Spurs uh, were going to do. Um, Tottenham um, is another team, and everyone's going to say just because I played for them, and there's part of that. There's part of heart and head in this. Um, but I have them uh, just just uh, pipping the fourth place spot. Um, I'm saying this uh, also out of an educated guess because the uh, I, I believe in. Mauricio Pochettino, I believe in his ideas. I believe Daniel Levy is backing him fully. 
Um, and this uh, this Tottenham team is a cohesive unit. I love the youth that's there, so there's obviously a building block for the future as well. If they do miss out on fourth, it won't be by much, um, and the entire squad will be better for going forward. Nabil Bentaleb, very young. Ryan Mason, young. Harry Kane, young. Danny Rose is a, is a young player, um, so on and so forth. You, you can go through the team, and there's a... Um, there's a very good mix of the experience and and youth, um, so so I like um, I like both these teams. That's interesting. I, I think most people would say it's you know the same top four that finished last year probably positioned well to do it again. Grant is is that kind of how how you see things? Do you see a team like Tottenham maybe able to to crack that that top tier? Well, first off, I'm curious to find out who Brad thinks Tottenham might edge. Uh, to get um, well, the two, yeah, the two. So I, I had uh, Chelsea in second place and a very close second place. I think that if Spurs are going to break into the the top four, the, the 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 teams they will be challenging for it will be City and United. Uh, Liverpool's a team that a uh, little bit in transition this year. Hired Jurgen Klopp mid-season, competing for a European place down the stretch with Klopp. A little inconsistent, though. Brad, not too far off, also on on Liverpool. And and look, you didn't predict that that Rodgers would go out and Klopp would come in, but but uh, in in a lot of ways, uh, kind of pinpointed what we should have been looking for uh, with the team this year. The unknown is going to be Liverpool. This is the second season in a row that they have spent. Um, a lot of money and brought in a lot of different players and Benteke and Sturridge, they could, they could click straight away and, and they could find themselves in having one of these, uh, you know, league, uh, league challenging seasons. Um, but, uh, history, history says as well that when you do bring in a lot of players that, uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a miss and, and it takes a lot of time for the players to gel. So it's very, really difficult in preseason right now for me to, uh, to say Liverpool are definitely going to be up there, but could they be up there? Absolutely, they could. Uh, Harry Kane is in position to win the Golden Boot. He's he's doing extraordinarily, done extraordinarily well for Tottenham. I think he faced a lot of questions entering this year whether he could repeat the success that he had last year. Um, ben and and Brad, uh, not entirely right, but also not entirely wrong. But the big question mark for me about Spurs is also their strikers. It looks like Adebayor might leave. Soldado, they probably want to get rid of and they'll bring someone else in. But Harry Kane uh, is someone that Brad obviously saw at close quarters last season. Can he score another 30 goals this season? He's going to be a marked man. Brad, do you think he can continue this form? Because, you know, he wasn't even in the, in the starting lineup until November. What he did was, was astonishing. Well, I think it would be unfair to expect 31 goals out of him. Uh, that's for sure. But does he have an eye for goal? And, and is he one of the best just out-and-out out true finishers I've ever played with? The, the answer is yes. Um, I, I agree with you on the goal tally. I mean, listen, if, if you look at what Tottenham needs, they need, about, they need to concede about 10 less and score about 10 to 12 more if they're going to jump into that uh, top four. That's, that's how close things are. Um, and when you talk about goals, uh, and this is where ch- my comment on Chelsea came into it a little bit earlier, you can get goals from by spreading it around in different positions and different areas on the field. So I'm sure Mauricio is going to be looking at this, right? Do I need another striker or can I add to get goals on corner kicks and set pieces? And I think the answer with Tottenham is probably another striker. Uh, all right, Brian and Grant, uh, the nature of predictions um, 
is that they are often wrong, right? I mean, we do this every year. We do this for multiple leagues. Uh, it's always great to tout what you get, right? 12 months, nine months, whatever it is later. Um, but but great, just the nature of them. They're, they're more fun and more how we see things now. It's so hard to look at that far down the line. Well, you know who's going to really enjoy this pot, this part of the podcast are the people we cover, including and especially coaches, because it's their chance to sort of wag a finger at us and say, you know, you criticize me a lot on the Monday morning quarterback, center back type of way, but when you're in the moment and choosing things and having to make tough calls, uh, it's not easy because you don't know what's going to really happen with it. You have to go with your gut or whatever. And it's not easy to predict what's going to happen in the future. And this is a clear example in this year, this season, that was the case more than any other in Premier League history. Oh, yeah. And Brian, we were talking about this off air beforehand. You're talking about how all these Washington area writers are predicting the Capitals to win the Stanley Cup based on a lot of signings that they made. Not not just Washington area writers, Sports Illustrated writers, ESPN (laughs) writers, uh, people who haven't. Who don't appreciate the uh, the three decade long tradition that this franchise has of gags <laughs> in the playoffs drives me nuts. Um, but but to that end, though, predictions are are what they are, right? There there we take the information that we have at at the time and and take our personal hunches and and you know what we think is going to play out and and you it's know a, it's an opportunity for us to to be stupid, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, to to humble ourselves. Uh, I have three that I want to throw out there, though. I, I, my, my, the three best predictions of my life, uh, and Grant, Grant can attest to this. Right before the corner kick, where John Brooks <laughs> scored against Ghana, I turned to him and said, "They're going to score." That happened. <laughs> he did. Uh, nice. Number two is I predicted Italy to win the World Cup in '06, and number three, when I was a kid, I won the NCA office pool at my dad's office. Uh, because I predict Seton Hall to go to the final four and they did and they lost to Michigan in the final and I picked them because my mom is from West Orange, New Jersey. So 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 the, I've dropped the mic on those three and I'm allowed to be wrong on every prediction for the rest of my life. <laughs> but the common thread is you went out on a limb, right? And that's the thing that I try and remind myself is is that if you pick the chalk teams to win, you may end up being right, but you're not going to be able to brag about it in the future. So for any of us who pick, I think there's a lesson there. You know, I mean, I had Chelsea winning the title before the season, and that clearly did not happen. But even if it had happened, where what can you hang your hat on there, you know? Um, so I have a couple of my own favorite predictions that actually came true. In Sports Illustrated magazine, before the 98 World Cup, I picked France to win its first World Cup, and it did. Uh, and I've had horrible, miserable picks ever since for the World Cup, but I can hang my hat on that. And that's about the only one I can think of right now. No, you you picked Ar- I mean, you picked Argentina to win two years ago, and they were, you know, and they Higuain didn't. missed away from doing it. <laughs> and they um, didn't? I picked Brazil. I didn't see how Brazil, you know, Brazil hadn't lost a competitive game on home soil in like 30 years. So I said, all right, Brazil's going to win the World Cup. And, you know, they just, they blew up. I mean, I my, my prediction was much worse. All right, well, you heard it here first. Fiji, Fiji's going to win the gold medal. <laughs> Haiti's going to win Copa America. Leicester's going to win Champions League next year. And Burnley is going to win the Premier League. I can't wait until Premier League predictions for next season, though, because I guarantee you people are going to be a bit more adventurous this time around. And my prediction, I'll tell you right now, is the whole theme of next season is going to be the Empire Strikes Back and all of the big clubs just beat everyone. 
Well, I just love Ranieri. He was asked yesterday uh, about his expectations for next season already. And in the most Ranieri way possible, he just said, I just hope we're around 10th place so we can compete to fight for a place in Europe. Like, what defending champion manager says that? He is a master of this, and this is his version of mind games, because he wouldn't even acknowledge that they had a chance to win the Premier League until like a week and a half before they won the Premier League. And he was just the whole time, I, when I was there in late, in late February, he was still saying this, well, we got to 40 points. Yeah, like, <laughs> we're not going to be relegated. And you're like, seriously? And And I guess you could say it was sort of masterful because it, dialed down the pressure on his players, but it was so ludicrous at the time. Um, I kind of love Claudio Ranieri, though. On a domestic front, I also think it's, I mean, it's pointless to predict MLS, right? I mean, there's just no, you know, I mean, you know, you you you, you think about how people tie the, the explosion of popularity in the NFL uh, to, to gambling and fantasy sports and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe that's something that would help MLS. But how do you do it on a week to week, month to month, year to year basis? Every game is impossible to predict. Uh, FC Dallas is killing everyone. Then they lose four nothing. Um, you know, w- Portland gets hot in the last seven weeks of the season and wins the title. It, it is apt. And that's part of the league's charm is that when you turn on a game, you have no idea what's going to happen. And I do like that. I do like that intrigue. I do. You know, it's great reality TV, but predicting it's just stupid. I'm feeling pretty good about my Toronto pick. While we're at it. Yeah, so far so good. Eight games on, on the road. They finally returned to BMO Field, the renovated BMO Field this weekend uh, for, for what should be quite the atmosphere. I believe that place is sold out of, according to what I've, Grant, I've picked, seen. Uh, you picked Toronto to win MLS Cup? I think I did. I think <laughs> so. I picked Toronto-Vancouver on this very podcast to make the final. Uh, we're, we're 50%. I picked Dallas <laughs> to win it. I don't remember who, if I picked an opponent. I guess I don't think I did. But I picked Dallas to win MLS Cup, which again, I mean, who, who knows? Well, if you think this is going to stop us from making predictions going forward, it's absolutely not. So I could be like Eric Winalda and issue a thousand predictions a day, and then when I get one right, <laughs> celebrate myself. Uh, fantastic. Uh, with that, I predict that we're going to end this podcast right now. Uh, but I want to thank uh, you, Grant and Brian, for your time. Alex Abnus is our producer. Thank you again to, to Brad Friedel and Ben for their time back in August uh, and, and giving us all of this fodder that we could work with today. Uh, We will talk to you next week on the Planet Football Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.